Jesus Christ. Amen. We thank the Lord for being us with us today. Even as we sing, um, show us Christ. May that be our desire to see Christ and to be conformed to his image as we draw near to him in the hearing of his word. Um, today we, we are going to start a new series through the book of Nehemiah. Um, for several weeks we'll be looking at this book in the Old Testament. One of the, the convictions that we have as Central Baptist Church is that the, the healthy way of approaching the scriptures is through expository preaching, meaning that we want to see what God has to say to us. We don't come with our own imagination um, and, and, and try to baptize those imaginations with, with, with verses, um, but we want to see what God has to say to us straight from the scriptures. And, and to do so, we want to see uh, go, go book by book. And um, I, I want to show you and demonstrate uh, to you even today that it is not only the New Testament that is relevant for the church, but the whole of the scriptures, right? Paul says all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. He talks about all scripture, and Nehemiah is also such a book. So open your Bibles to Nehemiah. So today, I wanna, what I want to do is just introduce the book to you, get you to understand the history behind the book, get you to understand what the book is about as we are going to head into this uh, Building Together series. Let us bow our heads and, and pray to the Lord. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, we want to thank you, O oh God, that you speak to us through your word. May our hearts be opened. Uh, may our minds also um, be ready to, 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 to understand your truth, to be taught your truth, that we may walk in your truth. Shape us, O oh God. Sanctify us with the word, for your word is truth, that we may be those who are pleasing in your sight, honoring, Father, walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have called us. May your name be praised and glorified as we look at your word. In Jesus' blessed name, we pray. When you think about the history of Israel, you will see that it is a story of a nation that is marked by unfaithfulness to God. Despite all that God has done for them, they, they decide to follow their hearts at the expense of their relationship with God. Yet, yet in the midst of this unfaithfulness, as we look at the Old Testament, we, we see the unfailing faithfulness of God towards Israel as his chosen people. God's commitment to the covenant that he made with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 3, to, to bless his offspring and to ultimately bless all the nations through Abraham, um, continues even in the midst of rebellion. If you have ever read through the Old Testament, you will notice that whenever Israel sinned against God, God would respond by giving them into the hands of the enemy to discipline them, and they would cry out to God 
and then he, he would show them compassion and, and restore them by bringing them back to the land. But after some time of being restored in that land, they would sin again, they would rebel again and go back to their evil ways. In the story of Israel, the, the key role players um, in the story of Israel are the prophets. They acted as the voice of God that spoke constantly to Israel by declaring the judgment of God against sin and calling them to covenant faithfulness through repentance. One such prophet is, is Jeremiah. Jeremiah had a ministry that has a span over of, of about 42 years, and, and his ministry was to Israel to, to, to keep calling them back to God, to keep reminding them of the covenant that God has made with them. He, he, in these years, he was declaring the judgment of God concerning how God will judge Judah through a pagan nation for her rebellion against God. Judah fails to listen and repent from her sin, but continues without shame in a life of idolatry. God sends the Babylonians, Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar as his agent of discipline, and, and Judah is taken into captivity for 70 years. Uh, among those who are taken into captivity is Daniel and his friends. You remember the story of Daniel, right? Daniel as well is in that group of people who are taken to, to Babylon in captivity. And Daniel plays a very important role in the politics of Babylon for 70 years. He is under Babylon, and then Babylon is taken over by the media Persians, and, and, and Daniel is still playing a role even in that government. But after 70 years in exile, we read in Daniel chapter 9, verse 1 to 2. I want you to notice this with me. This is what Daniel says in Daniel chapter 9, verse 1 to 2. He says, in the first year of Darius, the king of Ahasuerus, uh, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the, Lord, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So when, when Daniel is in, is, in, is in Babylon, 70 years comes to an end and Daniel looks at the scriptures and he prays for the restoration of Jerusalem, the restoration of Judah. Uh, we see clearly that though Judah is captured, God is still faithful and compassionate to her. And what a comfort to know, brothers and sisters, that, that God does not give up on his children. Right? That he faithfully disciplines them when they are in sin. He disciplines them for their good so that he might restore them to a life committed to glorifying him. And surely God uses the pagan king, Cyrus, to kick off the return of the exiles back to their homeland. In Second Chronicles chapter 36, verse 22 to 23, the chronicler documents a proclamation made by Cyrus for the exiles to be permitted to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Listen to the proclamation that is made in, 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 in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 22 and 23. Listen to what King Cyrus says. He says, Now in the first year of King Cyrus, Cyrus, king of Persia, 
that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you, of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. Right? He makes this proclamation to say, all the exiles are released. All those who want to go back to Jerusalem, they are released. Let them go back to Jerusalem. And this helps us to, to place Nehemiah in its proper historical, historical context, context in the Old Testament. Although our Bibles placed Nehemiah before Jeremiah and Isaiah, it should actually be placed next to Malachi. It belongs next to Malachi. It is a post-exilic book, meaning that it records the events that took place after the exile. Now, when you think about the, 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 the events of the exile, there are three phases of the exile that put things into perspective. And this shows us the importance of the book of, of Nehemiah. The first phase is a group led by Zerubbabel um, uh, they, that go back to Jerusalem with the express purpose of rebuilding the temple. They, they want to rebuild the temple as they go back because the temple has been destroyed. But, but the rebuilding uh, of the temple is hindered due to the, to the enemies that are surrounding them and they stop the work. Uh, from, from due to, to, to they are pressured and they stop the work. The work is resumed 15 years later with the encouragement of prophets Haggai and Zechariah. So uh, Haggai and Zechariah are the prophets that are sent by God to encourage Zerubbabel to continue with the rebuilding of the temple. The second phase is a group led by Ezra 57 years later to go back to Jerusalem with the express purpose of restoring the worship, of rebuilding the city and its walls. But again, there is opposition. They are opposed. And, and this time, the, the officials around that region, they, they come up with a conspiracy uh, that the rebuilding of the walls of the city of, of Jerusalem w would mean that the, 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 the Israelites, the Jews, are seeking freedom for themselves. They are seeking to be free from Persian rule. And so they write these letters to King Ataxerxes to request that the work be stopped. And, and, and we, we see this in Ezra chapter 4. And the king writes back, commanding that the work be stopped. And the work was stopped. But not only that is the work stopped, but the enemies come and they destroy the work that had already been started. They destroy the walls. They destroy the city. The third phase, and this will be our focus for for several weeks, is a group that is led by Nehemiah, who is a cupbearer to King Ataxerxes. The same king who wrote letters to stop the rebuilding of, of the walls and to stop the rebuilding of the city is, 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 has, has Nehemiah as his cupbearer. And we see the providence of God right here, right? 13 years later, after the work is halted, after the work is stopped, Nehemiah gets a visit from his brothers. Um, and, 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 and he gets a report that 
his world, that turns his world upside down and shifts the course of the history of Israel. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, read, let us read these words with me. We'll look at them in detail next week. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. And now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa the Sitaidal, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. This is the, the, the report he gets about what is happening in Jerusalem. And under Nehemiah, the rebuilding of the city walls and the population of Judah becomes a success. And I want to put it to you this morning that though this book recounts the history of the Jews after their exile, it is much more than history. It is not just a rehearsal of past events, but has something to teach us even in our day. And we should do well to pay attention to what God has to say to us through this book. As I, as I said, Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And that includes Nehemiah. So the question is, what do we learn from this book? What do we learn by studying Nehemiah? From the whole book of Nehemiah, we, we, le we learn four important areas of focus in the rebuilding. Four important areas of focus in the rebuilding. First of all, the rebuilding will mean restoration of worship. It will mean restoration of worship. In the Exodus, in, in the book of Exodus, when God sends Moses to liberate the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, it is, it is so that they can worship him. We read in, in Exodus chapter 8 verse 1, and I love it in the, ES, in the NIV, this is what it says in the NIV in Exodus chapter 8 verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go. Why? So that they may worship me. Let my people go so that they may worship me. And this is repeated numerous times in, in this book of Exodus. It's a reminder of the fact that Israel's existence, the, 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 their existence uh, and the goal of their existence was the worship of God. That the worship of God was at the center of the life of the Jews. That they were a people set apart for God. In Isaiah chapter 43, God speaks through Isaiah concerning the rescue that will happen after the exile. And, 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 and how he, he, he will call them from the south and from the north and bring them back to Jerusalem. And, and this is what he says about them in verse 7 of Isaiah 43. He, he reminds them that this people he's bringing back is everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory. God is bringing them back because he reminds them I have created you for my glory and I want to restore worship in Israel, in Jerusalem. When God made man and woman, he made them for his glory. The, the first question of the Westminster Catechism, it, it asks this question, it says, what is the chief end of man? 
In other words, what is the highest and ultimate reason God created us? Why did God create us? And the answer is this. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We are created for the glory of God. We are created to honor God with our lives, to live to the glory of God. One of the things at the heart of the return of the exiles back to Jerusalem is the restoration of true worship. God is calling them back to restore true worship. Not only in the offering of sacrifices to God, but through songs and prayers that are offered to God. The book opens up with Nehemiah's prayer of repentance and, and seeking the face of God through fasting. In chapter 9, we see corporate repentance again after being convicted of their sin through hearing the word. In chapter 11, verse 15 to 26, they meticulously organized the temple, uh, the temple ma maintenance and its workers so that the worship will continue. When we read through this book and we hear what God has to say to us, we should ask ourselves individually, am I living for the glory of God or am I living for myself? Does my life reflect the fact that I am a worshiper of God? This should be the question that we ask ourselves as we go through this book. Secondly, another area of focus in the rebuilding is the restoration of the centrality of God's word in God's community. Restoration of the centrality of God's word in God's community. In Romans chapter 3 verse 2, the Apostle Paul says the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. They were entrusted with the word of God. God chose to reveal himself and, and his will through the written scriptures. At the heart of worship for God is an understanding of who God is. And to understand who God is, we have to be informed through the medium that he chose to reveal himself in. The Torah, the law of God. We, 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 we cannot truly worship God unless we know the God who has revealed himself through the scriptures. That the physical rebuilding of the city and its walls is complemented by a spiritual rebuilding of the life of God's community through a return to the Torah, to the law of God, to the word of God. That there's a clear indication when you read through the book of the centrality of God's word. Nehemiah's prayer, first of all, in chapter 1, is a prayer immersed in the word of God. He, he quotes the scriptures. He speaks of the attributes of God, of the covenant that God has made with his people in the past. There's a conviction in the mission that he undertakes that God has promised in his word to bring back the exiles to Jerusalem. And you can see clearly that Nehemiah is a man who takes God at his word. He takes God at his word. In chapter 8, we see a national hunger for God's word. The, the, the nation is hungry to hear from God. The, the people gather together uh, with one, uh, as one to, with the express purpose of, of hearing the Torah being taught. The, the word of God preached to them. 
there's a united call to Ezra in, 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 in Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 1. They say to him, bring out the book. That they want to hear from God. They want to hear what God has to say to them. They want to hear the will of God. They say to Ezra, bring out the book. They sat there for hours wanting to hear what God has to say to them. For hours and hours. In verse 3 of chapter 8, the Bible says, The ears of all people were attentive to the book of the law. They were so eager to hear it. They were attentive to it. Their minds were not flying all over the place. They wanted to hear what God has to say to them. And this was not a one-time thing. In, in verse 13, verse 13 of that very same chapter, chapter 8, it says, On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all people, with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra, the scribe, in order to study the words of the law. They came for Bible study because they wanted to study the words of the law. They, 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 they were eager to learn from God. And notice something here. Don't miss this point. It is the heads of the father's houses. They, 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 these men understood that, that they have a responsibility to teach their families. They, they, they wanted to learn the word of God so that they can teach their families. They understood that God has placed upon them a divine, a, a divine responsibility to be, to be teachers in their homes. Don't miss that point. They, they knew their roles. And first and foremost, their, their roles was to lead their families in the word of God. And there was no way of doing that unless they spent time studying the words of the law. The reason, brothers and sisters, let me talk to men, the reason you're not confident to sit down with your family to teach them the word of God, it is because you're not spending, in, you're not spending time in the word of God yourself. Uh, these men saw that deficiency in their lives. They, they saw it. And, and, and to remedy that deficiency, they went to, to Ezra and the scribes and sat down for the purpose of studying the word of God. They came for Bible study. You see, brothers and sisters, church is not only about Sunday. You see, if, 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 if the word of God truly has a center of authority in your life, Church will not be about Sunday. They spend time in the Word. And do you see that they spend time in the Word together? That they wanted to learn together? They came together. They did this, did this over and over again because they noticed that the responsibility that they have is a divine responsibility and in order to carry it well they must learn from God in order to teach their families about God and that should be a rebuke to our generation that is marked by apathy by laziness and a disregard of God's word. 
It is not because we don't have time for the word. It is because we don't want to make time. You will never be busy, so busy, more than Jesus. Jesus Christ was the busiest man in the world, but he still found time for prayer and the word. There's a growing apathy for the word of God. There's a growing neglect for the word of God. There's a growing disregard for the word of God from Christians. As we read this book, we should, we, 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 we should be reminded that the word of God must, be, must have centrality in the life of the community. So as we study through this book, we, we, we must have a hunger for God's word, to hear it gladly, to receive it joyfully, and to live by it daily. Thirdly, another area of focus in the rebuilding is restoration of holy living. Restoration of holy living. So we see, first of all, restoration of worship, restoration of the centrality of God's word in God's community, and thirdly, restoration of holy living. The, the reason for the defeat, of, uh, the, the, the defeat and consequent exile of the Jews was not because they lacked military power. It, it was not because Nebuchadnezzar had read the art of war and was able to, to outmaneuver and outsmart them on the battlefield. No. It was because of their sin. It was because of their sin. They loved sin and despised God. That they refused to listen to the warnings of the prophets and instead killed the prophets. And isn't that what sin does? That it blinds us to, to its consequences. It, it calls us and it blinds us. It deceives us. It, de it deceives us to think that, they, that God will not do anything about the sin. And it also hardens us against the warnings of scripture. We, we, we don't want to hear the scripture warn us anymore. We, we want people to tell us about how blessed we are. We, we want people to tell us about how blessings are coming our way because we don't want to be called to repentance anymore. The, the warning of the Puritans is timely and wise. Sin will take you further than you want to go. It will leave you longer than you want to stay. And it will make you pay more than you are willing to pay. You cannot flirt with sin and not come out scarred. This is the case with the Jews. The sin they loved the most led them to slavery. Notice Nehemiah in his prayer in chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. He prays, he says, Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. 
But if you return to me and keep my command, commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost part of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. God is saying, if you sin, if you, if you forsake my word, I will, I, I will discipline you. I will send you to the enemy camps. I will, I will allow them to capture you. But if you cry out to me and repent of your sin, I will restore you. I will call you from the uttermost parts of the world and bring you back to the land. Do you see how God is faithful? Even in the midst of this unfaithfulness, how God is compassionate when he has every right to crush them. He is compassionate. He is faithful. In the same way he is faithful with you and I. God continues to be faithful when we are unfaithful. God continues to be faithful when we stray away from him. God continues to call us and to, 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 to bring us back to himself, to restore us in his grace and bring us back into the community, restore us to walk in the grace of God. That the rebuilding of the wall suggests a greater reason than just the city to have barricades. It calls us to see Israel's need to be a people that are set apart from God, for God. That a people that are different. A people that are, 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 are holy, are called to holiness. God calls them to holiness in Leviticus chapter 20 verse 26. He says to them, you shall be holy to me for I am the, I the Lord am holy and have, and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. That they were to be reminded of this call of Leviticus 20 verse 26 that they are to be separated from the peoples. They are to be holy and the rebuilding of the wall, of the physical wall uh, 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 represented and stood for the rebuilding again of the spiritual wall. As you read the book, you come to see a growing concern for purity. Purity in, in, in the leaders as well. In, 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 first of all, in the leaders, we see Ezra as a teacher of the law, as a teacher of the law of God, is presented as a man above reproach. We see this clearly in Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. The Bible says, Ezra had set his heart to the study of the law of God and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. He, he was a man above reproach. He, he, he walked the talk. He did not talk and did the opposite. He practiced what he preached. When he, he, he spoke about husbands need to love their wives, he loved his wife. Well, when he spoke about the need to walk in holiness, he walked in holiness. When he spoke about the need for repentance, he lived a repentant life. He was a man above reproach. He studied the word of God and did not only study it, but sought to do it and, and to teach it. He was an exemplary leader marked by purity. Not only that, but also Nehemiah the governor, whose concern was not to enrich himself in his position. He was not a politician who, who, who wanted to enrich himself, but he was a politician who was above reproach. He wanted to serve his people. 
He fought for the cause of the poor. And we see that in chapter 5. He fights for the cause of the poor. The, 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 the ones who are being oppressed, he fights for them. He is the voice of the marginalized. He speaks for those who cannot speak for themselves. He was marked by generosity instead of greed. In chapter 5, verse 15, the reason for this, the Bible tells us, it was because of the fear of God. He feared God. That is why he lived like that. That is why he had such a, such a, such a stature, such a, such a, such a, such a holy life, a, a life after purity. But we do not see only a concern for purity in the leaders, but we see a concern for, the, for purity in the community itself. In chapter 9, after they hear the word of God in chapter 8, we see a brokenness over sin, which invariably leads to repentance from sin. That they want to live for God. They want to walk in the ways of God. They are concerned for purity. As we look through this book in the coming several weeks, our hearts should yearn for the holiness for which God calls the redeemed to. We should yearn to be marked by a gospel-produced holiness, a holiness that comes as a result of believing God, of, of repenting of our sin and trusting the gospel. Fourthly and lastly, the area of focus in the rebuilding is the restoration of the messianic hope. The, the restoration of the messianic hope. The hope of Israel was the hope of a coming Messiah. Right? The hope in the coming Messiah. The, the, the book of Nehemiah starts with a high note. Zerubbabel failed. Ezra failed to rebuild. Nehemiah comes out of the blue and and he succeeds. There's, there's a high note in, in this book. Things are looking up for the restoration of the glory of Jerusalem as a city of God. Things are, are, are sharp, sharp, right? <laughs> they are going well. Just consider how the story goes. In chapter 1, Nehemiah hears about the condition, the heartbreaking condition in Jerusalem. He fasts and prays. He spends four months praying to the Lord, seeking the will of God. And then he goes to the king in chapter 2. He approaches the king and asks for assistance. And then providentially, as God moves the heart of the king, he, he finds favor and is granted to go back to Jerusalem. And, and, and when he is in Jerusalem, he spends days surveying the walls and surveying the work and how long the work is going to take. And then in chapter 2, he encourages the people and calls them to build. Chapter 3, we see people coming together. There's a unity among the people. They are building. Everyone is on their corner and they are doing their part. No one is outside looking, but everyone has their hands to the plow. Everyone has their hands to the work. In chapter 4, five and six, we see opposition from the outside. People are opposing the rebuilding of the wall as they opposed the rebuilding during Zerubbabel's time and during Nehemiah's time. But now 
amidst the opposition, the building goes on. And in 52 days, the building is finished. 52 days. Because they were united. Chapter 7, the number that they returned from the exile looks promising. It looks promising and exciting. In chapter 8, the people hear the word gladly. There's a reformation in Israel. The people want to hear the word of God. In chapter 9, they repent after being confronted by the word. Chapter 10, they make a covenant commitment with God in writing. They write it down and say, we commit to do this. We, we want to do this as a result of being convicted. Chapter 11 and chapter 12, the people are, start populating the city again. The, the, the city starts to become a buzz with people. Exciting stuff. But that's not how the book ends. You expect a book like this to end with chapter 12, right? Where the city is filled with people and probably Nehemiah has an editorial note that says, and they lived happily ever after. But that's not the case. There's no longer a high note, but an anticlimax. In chapter 13, we see the Jews back in a life of rebellion. The promise that they made, the commitment that they made in chapter 10, they go back on it. They go against it. Nehemiah is so frustrated that he starts beating people. He starts threatening people and beating them with his hands. He doesn't pray for them, he prays for them. It is disappointing to see the city that was supposed to be a bus filled with worship, filled with holiness, turning into a city that is dishonoring to God again. When will they learn? When will we learn? We reminded again that the wall is not effective to keep people holy. A wall is not effective to keep people holy because the problem of sin is not something that is out there. It is something that is in the heart. Does that make sense? It is something that's in the heart. So the book of Nehemiah points something. Have you noticed that in all the, if maybe go read during, during the week, you'll notice that there is no king in Israel. There is no king in Israel. There's a reason for that. The prophets have spoken, especially Isaiah. Remember, they are speaking before the events of Nehemiah. He speaks of a king who will come, whose name will be Emmanuel. He speaks of a king who will come, who will be wonderful counselor, who will be the prince of peace. So the book of Nehemiah, it is not obscure that there's no king there. It is deliberate that there is no king. Because a king, a true king is coming. Right? Even the temple that has been rebuilt is not so exciting because the elders look at the temple while the people are rejoicing and they weep because the glory of this temple is not like the glory of the other temple. But there will come one in the future who will be a lamp of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
He will be the one who brings the temple of God in this world. Look at, look at Revelation. There's a hope that rings in the book, although we see disappointment. There's this hope that is that, that, the, the restoration of the hope of the Messiah who is coming. In, in Revelation chapter 21, John, has, uh, John sees this, this vision and he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I, I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a, as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And he will be their God. There will be such a holiness that the, the veil to the holy of holies will be ripped. That when the temple of God, when Jeru the new Jerusalem is on earth, on the new earth and the new heaven, we will be in the holy of holies. We see in Nehemiah that external things are not effective to keep one holy. The problem is the heart. And so there is this yearning, there is this, this hope for the Messiah who is coming, who will put all things right. The Messiah who is coming, who will make a new covenant with his people, an effective covenant, a covenant not cut on the skin, but cut in the heart. Look at what Ezekiel says. Ezekiel is also in the story. He is reminding these people that this is what is going to happen. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25, God speaks of a new covenant when there when the, the will be real and true transforming. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. He says, without me, you can do nothing. I will send my spirit, and I will transform your lives. This looks forward to the greater Messiah, the, the, the greater Nehemiah, who, who, will not only, who will not build physical walls, but he will build a new people for himself. It, it looks forward to the greater Ezra, who will not only teach the law, but will also will, will, will make them walk in the, in the ways of the law. It looks forward to the Messiah himself. And my desire as we go through this book in the next coming uh, weeks is that as we spend time looking at God's word, uh, our hearts will long for lives of true worship. That we will long to be true worshipers that worship God in truth and in spirit. That we will be marked by a renewed desire for God's word. That we will be marked by a desire
for holy lives. Lives that are, are pure before God. And that we will be marked by a love for Christ who has come for us to redeem us and who will come for us to bring us into his presence. Amen. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, it is indeed a privilege to, to hear from your word. Pray that our hearts will receive your truth, convicted by your truth, seek to walk in your truth. May you be blessed in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.